Welcome to another public lecture podcast from the University of Bath. This lecture looks at medicines available over the counter from pharmacies as well as those available from supermarkets, grocery stores and garages. Trained pharmacist Denise Taylor will discuss readily available medicines and how safe they are. Um, Hello everybody. Basically, I was asked today to talk to uh, people about paracetamol and the safety of over-the-counter medicines. And I really don't wish to scare anybody because I think over-the-counter medicines are a very, very, very valuable part of our healthcare today. And our access to them means that we have ease of um, alleviating our minor conditions as we see fit. However, in July of this year, a woman from the southwest um, was admitted to a local hospital in the, in the region um, and consequently died. Um, and she'd been taking a prescribed prescription which contained paracetamol and codeine. Um, and it seemed that there was some confusion about what she was taking and how often she was taking it and how many she took. Um, And those of you, you may be aware that actually from the local pharmacy, from garages, from supermarkets now, from corner stores, we can buy paracetamol and codeine-containing products over the counter. And it becomes very difficult then for us to understand how much we're taking and why is that important. So what I'd like to get across today is why it's important to understand how much we're taking So we'll look at um, the background of over-the-counter medicines, some of the safety issues, and the unintentional misuse of these products. And this is where the danger is for the general public Um, and linking to some of the possible adverse outcomes. But as I say, these are relatively rare, but they're things that can be avoided with a little bit of knowledge. So basically leading into how we can best protect ourselves and our families In this country, in the United Kingdom, um, we have three classes of medicines that's legislated by Parliament. Uh, The first ones are called prescription-only medicines, or POMs. And those of you who've had a prescription from the doctor with a packet, you might see in a little uh, rectangular box, P-O-M, and it means prescription-only medicine. You can only get this legally with a prescription from a doctor, a pharmacist, or a nurse prescriber. A P medicine is a a drug that can only be uh, purchased from a pharmacy and under the supervision of a pharmacist. And it means that it's safe enough to be in the general public but actually needs some advice and discretion from the pharmacist about whether it's actually warranted or not. A, A recent one that happened in early 2000 was the release of the emergency hormonal contraceptive pill as a P-medicine in pharmacies throughout the United Kingdom. And this meant that for the first time, uh, people could access this through their local pharmacy. However, the the, uh, requirements were on the pharmacist to actually do quite a detailed consultation to see if actually the medicine was necessary or not. So P-medicines are available to buy, but actually their use is... um, governed, if you like, by the, by the discrimination of the pharmacist that you see. Other ones are called GSL, or General 
uh, sales level medicines. And again, you'll see those on the box in a little label. And these are generally for self-limiting conditions, um, such as headache, constipation, diarrhea, that kind of thing. Um, Most importantly, GSLs can also be bought in a pharmacy. They can be bought in supermarkets, garages, grocery stores, that stores those sorts of things. And this availability, this GSL, the P, or the POM, basically restrict the availability, so where it can be purchased from or prescribed from, and the pack size, so how many you can buy. So, for example, a GSL preparation of paracetamol, or aspirin, for example, will only have 16 tablets in the box. But if we buy it as a pea medicine, we can get 32 because it's under the supervision of a pharmacist. As a prescription-only medicine, we can get as many as the prescriber feels is appropriate for us at that particular time. So these are the kind of things that legislate what we can and cannot get access to. Um, Over-the-counter medicines have been described as those used to prevent, treat, or cure ailments. Um, And these can be from cardiovascular conditions. Um, And one of the latest ones a couple of years ago was the sale of simvastatin preparations, which is used to reduce cholesterol. Um, And to the more commonly known ones for aches and pains, such as paracetamol, aspirin, uh, diclofenac sprays, those kinds of things. <coughs> and why do we have them? Well, they enable us to take control of our own illness. It gives us rapid and convenient access to treatment. And importantly, in terms of the current um, health climate, if you like, it gives us more efficient use of physician capacity. So we're seeing more and more minor ailment clinics being set up and run in primary care trusts that are run by pharmacists and or nurses so that it frees up GP time to see more complicated patients. And really it gives us, as an individual, more responsibility and empowerment over our own health, which can be very important for some people. Possible problems, as I've alluded to, are the um, adverse effects, so the side effects of the drug, um, and the possible misuse. And I must stress that a lot of the misuse that we see is unintentional. People really don't mean to uh, overdose themselves or underdose themselves. It's because they haven't, not really clear about what they should be taking and why. So, Another possibility is they may have made the wrong diagnosis. They may have decided that they have got a stomach upset when actually it may be something else like irritable bowel. People um, may take too much. Um, A common thought is because they're over-the-counter, then actually they're quite safe. So if one is good, then two will be even better. But quite simply, often two is one too many. And then people can underdose. So with paracetamol for adults, the um, recommended dose is a gram, which is two of those 500 milligram tablets that you see. Um, And as an adult, if you just take one, 
you may be getting an ineffective dose for the pain that you have. So why do these prescription-only medicines become P medicines, pharmacy medicines that we can buy over the counter? Why does that happen? Um, and basically it's because there's what we call epidemiological evidence. And this is where large populations are studied who've taken the drug over a period of time and they look for general efficacy, so how good the drug works, um, and look at the side effect risks or profile with that. And if it's seen to be safe, then it's a, a reason why perhaps it could be switched from a POM to a P. If there is adverse reactions, then it's stipulated that they should be minor in nature. So, you know, um, one of the ones that frequently have is might make you a little bit drowsy. So as long as you're aware of this and you're not going to drive or operate machinery, then it may be an acceptable side effect for somebody to take for, say, maybe a headache or a migraine. And that this adverse effect will stop when the treatment is stopped. And there must be some um, availability of information from the company seeking the switch that actually, if there was a misdiagnosis, that taking this tablet for a short period of time would not put the person at too much risk. <coughs> and an example of this, alluding to paracetamol again, is that when you buy over-the-counter, it says that if you need to take it constantly for more than three days, then you should go and see your doctor just to check that it's not something more sinister. So the um, company also has to pr provide information on efficacy and that the dose that they're supplying in the over-the-counter product is actually effective. Okay? There are some over-the-counter products that are available where the dose is not one that is a licensed dose in a prescribed medicine. It's half a dose. So one could argue that actually... Um, if we sell that kind of dose, then we're giving people an ineffective product. So we need to be sure when we're looking at these requests that actually the dose is an effective dose and not something that actually might not help the person who buys that and puts them at risk of further pain or discomfort. And they're saying that this diagnosis or the indication for treatment should be um, recognisable by customers and likely not to be confused with potentially serious diseases. So obviously we all recognise when we have um, an athlete's foot, for example, or if we have a cough and a cold or a blocked sinus or constipation or diarrhoea. So those kind of things generally, when they're self-limiting, we recognise them as being just a minor ailment, and that if they don't clear up in two or three days, then we should be heading to seek some medical advice. Information. Um, this is now governed by EU legislation, the kind of information that actually goes to the consumer when they buy these products. Um, and it must meet criteria leading to safe use, include warnings and advice on duration of treatment and when medical attention should be sought. And this is all very well and good, but the problem is we often don't read the label. And most of you will agree with me that when you try and read the label, it's in very small print, and you're like this. So it's something that often we skip over, but what I'd like to you to, to get across today that don't, 
Please read it. So EU legislation says that each of the um, patient information leaflets that you find inside your packets of tablets, even over-the-counter ones, as a minimum, should uh, cover all that information. So the name and strength and form of the product being sold. So, for example, if it's aspirin, that it's aspirin, that it's 75 milligrams, that it's a tablet. It should say how they should be taken. So if it's aspirin dispersible, that it should be dispersed in water, and then it should be taken after food. It should include the frequency and dosing instructions, and if these change with age. And this is important for people with young families, or if you're looking after grandchildren, for example. We need to know that the dose of paracetamol and aspirin, well, aspirin's not advised for children under the age of 16 anymore, but paracetamol in age groups changes the dose. What they are used for, so, for example, you'll see on the back, back of a packet of paracetamol, we'll see it in a minute, about the indications that you can use it for. Cautions about sensitivities, allergies, concomitant medicine, medical conditions. This is often because um, if people have something, for example, like an irritable bowel, it might mean that the drug that they're taking hurries through the system much more rapidly and works for less time than, you know, than it was intended to. Conversely, some drugs will make it last for a longer period of time than it was supposed to. So these are important things for us to know when we're taking the tablet. Possible side effects to expect. Um, so I don't think there's a drug invented that doesn't have a side effect. What we need to know as consumers is um, what's a serious side effect and what will go away. So if I get, for example, um, a slight constipation with a tablet, will this improve over time? Or if, is it serious, do I need to see a doctor? On the package, um, you might see different warnings. Um, they used to have nice coloured labels in the, in the good old days when I was a pharmacist. Um, but now they're often um, just in black and white. And these will often tell us how we should take it with plenty of water or that it should be refrigerated or that it should be kept out of the reach of children. So again, the package warnings are on there for a reason that enable us to take it more safely. Um, and we're just going to flick through to the back of a paracetamol box. Of, um, it's a pack of 16 and you can see here that even all this information is on the back of a packet. And that's probably why the writing is so small, because they have to get it all on. So you can see the kind of things that we're supposed to use it for, headache, neuralgia, sore throat, aches and pains, the dose. Um, and again, here we are, adults, elderly and children over 12, one or two up to four times a day. Children 6 to 12, half to one, four times a day. And this particular product, this kind of form of paracetamol, not recommended for children under the age of six. And that's because we cannot safely give them a, a safe dose that they would need. And importantly, even though it's just down here in the bottom left-hand corner, is the dose should not be uh, repeated more frequently than every four hours. And not more than four doses should be taken in every 24 hours. And there you can see if symptoms persist for more than three days, consult your doctor. 
And this dosing information is very important, as we'll discuss a little bit later on. And many of you may have received prescriptions which say, take one or two every four to six hours. And when you read a label like that, you wonder exactly how much should you take and when should you take it, and what's the difference, why four, why six? And we'll talk about that in a, in a moment. OTC is a big business. In the UK, it's over £2.2 billion in 2006. So a lot of money is being spent. Um, in 2006, over 930 million packets of over-the-counter medicines were bought by people in order to treat themselves of a minor ailment, compared with 825 million prescriptions. So what we can sort of see looking at that kind of figure is that actually if all of those people were at the doctor's getting those medicines that they bought over the counter, we'd never get an appointment. We'd never see them. So in some ways, it's a good thing. Um, the figures I'm going to show you next do not include uh, sales from herbal shops or herbal, um, natural health food shops. The biggest sales area in the United Kingdom are around analgesia, so £526.4 million pounds. Per year. Skin, so athlete's foot, um, treatments for dandruff, that kind of thing, £413.9 million. Pounds. Cough and cold, £437.1 million. Pounds. GIs, uh, gastrointestinal, so things for upset tummies, um, 265.4. And down the bottom here, we see vitamins and mineral in at 342 million. So we're spending a lot of money on our minor ailments. And another way of looking at this is it's money that's not coming off the NHS budget for people who have more complex health needs. But it's an awful lot of money. Are we that sick? Um, this slide is taken from the BMJ earlier this year, the British Medical Journal, um, and it's basically showing the number of prescription-only medicines that have been switched to peas over the last, um, what is that, about 20 years or so. And we can see that there was a big peak in 93 to 96. Um, but there's a steady sort of switch rate of, a, of about three or four medicines per year of, that go from prescribed to pharmacy only. <coughs> And currently what seems to happen is once they've been in pharmacy only and they seem to be safe, they then switch from being a P to being a GSL, so a general sales level. So you can buy it in supermarkets or, or garages. An example of this in, in 2003, oops, um, you, we can see um, diclofenac. Um, diclofenac is a, what we call a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. That's used for musculoskeletal aches and pains. Um, and we can see that um, although as a prescribed medicine, it's using, used either as a rectal or a tablet, um, in over-the-counter products, it's only been licensed for use as a topical agent, so to rub on your aching joints. And we can see that in 2003, it went from POM to P. And in 2004, it went from P to GSL. So it just sort of shows things keep on moving. As they seem to be safer and safer, they move from prescribed 
to pay to general sales. Who decides whether they become an over-the-counter? Um, in the UK now, we have a, a, an organisation called the Medicines, Healthcare and Products Regulatory Agency, and they basically consult with uh, a lot of medical and healthcare professional organisations and patients groups to see if this would be a worthwhile thing. Um, safety is monitored quite stringently. Um, this this organisation runs what we call a yellow card reporting system. Has anyone here heard of that? Only a few. This is really, really disappointing um, in terms of how good healthcare professionals are at educating people that take medicines, that they can report side effects themselves. So by um, this yellow card .mihra.gov.uk, if you experience a side effect with a prescribed medicine, an over-the-counter medicine or a herbal remedy, you can actually log it so they're aware of what is going on with continued use. So if you're interested, have a look on the MHRA website. If you just put MHRA into Google, it will come up, and it will come up with a yellow card scheme right on the front page. So it might be something you might be interested in. Other studies, epidemiological studies, have shown they are used to monitor the efficacy and safety of drugs as well. And earlier this year, the MHRA told us, and all healthcare professionals, that it was not really safe to give cough and cold remedies to children under the age of two. This is because there's no evidence that they work in that age group, and there's evidence that they actually cause more side effects. So some good comes out of this long-term monitoring. In terms of aspirin, um, aspirin's been available for a very, very long time. And it's, it took 80 years as a general sales level item before there was a link found between um, taking aspirin for an influenza-like illness like uh, chickenpox or flu or a cold and the development in children under the age of 16 of what we call Ray's syndrome, which is a syndrome which affects the workings of the organs within the body and can and is potentially fatal. So because of this ongoing monitoring, now aspirin is limited to pack sizes of 16 and not for sale for people under the age of 16. Now, I was told to talk to you about gruesome things, but I don't want to make it too gruesome because I really don't want to scare anyone off. Um, There's misuse issues with any kind of medication, whether it's over-the-counter, prescribed, or herbal remedy. Um, And we need to be aware that many of these are blown up in the media to be something more than they really are. The problem comes with um, this this one here, this lady here. She uh, developed renal failure, so her kidneys stopped working because she developed an addiction to an over-the-counter analgesia which contained ibuprofen and codeine. And ibuprofen, again, is one of these non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs taken for musculoskeletal pain. And it's very effective. Codeine um, is a mild opiate, so it's potentially addictive in its own right. Uh, it's a very small dose of codeine in this product, but um, it's enough for some people who are very sensitive to opiates to get an addiction to that. And she apparently started off taking it regularly for pain 
and then just realised she needed more and more and more and more. Um, and unfortunately, it wasn't found until it was too late. Um, some of these opiate-type drugs, the codeine here and the dihydrocodeine here, they can also, if you take it in an overdose, cause what we call respiratory depression. So they um, limit our ability to breathe normally. So we become cyanosed. And again, an overdose, potentially fatal. Um, this one here, this drug diphenhydramine, is an antihistamine. It's often used in cough and cold remedies. It's often used in over-the-counter sleeping preparations for people who have trouble sleeping. And the problem with it is, if it's taken with alcohol, it gives you a bit of an euphoric lift. So um, there's a bit of a problem with young people misusing this drug just to get a high. And it's the same with... It's the same with opiates. Um, people misuse the drug to get a high. So there's deliberate misuse and there's unintentional misuse. Um, coming on to why we're here, really, <coughs> excuse me, is this unintentional overdose of paracetamol. The problem with um, taking too much paracetamol is it can lead to, lead to liver failure. Um, and as I alluded to earlier on, one of the difficulties is if we're taking a prescribed medicine which contains paracetamol and we're also taking an over-the-counter medicine which contains paracetamol, we may be taking too much and not knowing it. Generally, paracetamol is accepted as one of the safest medicines we know. It's safe in all age groups, in most medical conditions, and probably the safest analgesia preparation for people who are pregnant or breastfeeding. Um, one of the difficulties is that it's used alone for pain or fever or it's combined with these drugs called NSAIDs or mild opiates. It's used in cough and cold remedies. It's used in migraine preparations and it's used in prescribed formulations. And the dose will be different in each one. So often what you're having to do is add up the different doses that you're taking to make sure you don't take too much accidentally. So how much is too much? I base this on an adult, a normal adult, everyone in this room. Um, one gram four times a day. So two of those tablets, two of those capsules four times a day. And that's fine. What happens with people who... Um, Overdoses, there's usually one of these three, four points involved in the situation. Either there's a chronic excessive alcohol intake, and I'm talking excessive, 40 units per week, something like that. Or there's been a period of prolonged fasting, so maybe somebody's had, for example, bowel surgery or gut surgery or some kind of illness, and they haven't eaten properly for greater than two weeks, and they've lost a lot of weight or they have a poor diet, or they're anorectic. Um, or they take a medicine that will induce what we call the cytochrome P450 enzymes, and I'll explain that in a little bit. So normally this is fine. The problem is if there's one of those things going on. So how are medicines metabolized by the body? If you, when you take a tablet, it goes into our stomach, and from there it's absorbed and distributed around the body, and eventually the liver takes it up and it undergoes some kind of process which makes it non-toxic. 
And then it goes into the kidney, and the kidney generally excretes it through the urine. Okay? can be excreted in other ways, like through the breath, through the skin, but more, most commonly through the kidney. This is a busy, busy slide, but if you just look at the top with me here, when you take paracetamol in a healthy person, 95% of the dose that you take in binds or conjugates with what we call a glucuronide in the liver. And this basically makes it inactive, inert, and safe, and non-toxic. And then it's excreted in the urine. Okay, so it goes into the liver, safely converted, out it goes. 5% is converted into this toxic metabolite. I'm sorry about the graphic there. <laughs> it's the only one I could find. Um, but this toxic metabolite is then binds to glutathione in the liver, and that makes it non-toxic, and then it's excreted in the urine. So this route is dependent on this um, substrate here, glutathione. And glutathione is produced by the liver. And it depends on having a healthy diet to make the substrate. And the reason why we say once every four to six hours is that it takes about four to six hours to replenish your stores of glutathione in your liver. So that's what, what's the important thing here. When we go down to B, um, and this is people who have taken excess alcohol, who have fasted or starved for a long period of time, or on what, they're on what we call an enzyme inducer, and this is something like a um, medication used for epilepsy, for example. And basically what can happen is this, this major pathway here gets blocked, and most of it goes down this pathway here. And it sort of overwhelms the body's ability to produce this glutathione and make it non-toxic. And it means that this, um, this toxic metabolite builds up in the body and causes hepatotoxicity, which basically means the liver cells start being destroyed and the liver goes into liver failure. So this is the problem with paracetamol. If we take it every four to six hours and our bodies are able to replenish the glutathione, and it's excreted very safely. So this is the pathway that's often involved in people who um, unintentionally um, die from an overdose. Some of you may also know that um, it's often used in suicide attempts, um, and in, up until 1998, there were 70,000 unintentional overdose or suicide attempts using paracetamol in the UK. And this led to 200 accidental deaths. And the problem is, is that you may take more than you need of the paracetamol and you wake up the next morning and you feel quite well. You feel actually okay. And then you realise that actually you didn't want to commit suicide. And the problem with that is that actually your liver is still being destroyed. So a few days down the line, you start vomiting, having abdominal pain, and the liver, liver um, um, packs up. So this is why it's really important we get across the message of once every four to six hours, no more than four doses in a day. In 1998, legislation reduced the pack size to 16 in general stores, and 32 in pharmacies. Now, the pharmacist can sell you up to three boxes of 32, depending on their discretion. 
But I've recently tried to do that and was told no, even though I was going away for a month and I needed a month's supply, and she just dispensed a month's worth of um, anti-malarial tablets. So pharmacists are very tight on this now. Um, and you often think that they're getting in your way, but actually they're trying to do it for the greater public good. In 2000, studies have shown that this legislation has led to a 21% drop in the incident rate of paracetamol being used in um, suicide attempts, and that it's led to almost a 70% decrease in those um, dying from liver failure. So it's been quite a, a very good bit of legislation from the government in order to help prevent unintentional deaths. So important points for the general public and for all of us who take these medicines, always read the packet warnings. They're there for a reason. You might just say, but I've always taken this. Be aware that companies are always doing studies about safety and that perhaps they've changed the, the label since you last read it. Read the information leaflet, again for the same reasons. Make sure you're looking at the maximum dose for the right age group, because it might change depending on, on age. And always look for the maximum duration you can take over-the-counter medicines before you need to seek medical help. Importantly, for paracetamol, you may need to add up doses. So if you're taking something for cough and cold, and you're also taking something for fever... It may be that they've both got paracetamol in them. So it may be that unintentionally you take too many. And if this is the case, you've added it up and you realise you've taken more than four grams in a day, no matter how well you're feeling, contact medical advice immediately, even if you feel well. But the important thing is to remember, if we take it as, we're, as prescribed and directed, we are pretty much 100% safe. Um, very briefly, I wanted to talk about aspirin and Ray syndrome. We mentioned it earlier, um, and this was this link, epidemiological link to aspirin um, when children were given um, aspirin for an influenza-like illness. Um, mainly children are affected, and in this country, there was less than 1,500,000 in children affected per year. Um, they were all under the age of 16. Um, but by reducing the sales restriction to, to, to people over the age of 16, this incidence has fallen even less. So, what do you do? Protect ourselves. Keep a record. Know your allergies. Know your sensitivities. So you can, you can tell people who might be recommending treatments for you. So when you look at a leaflet, you're aware of what you, you can or cannot take. Know your own medical history. So if it says in the cautions, do not take in renal disease or do not take if you have high blood pressure, then you can say, right, that's not for me. Um, know your current medications. And this includes all the over-counter medicines that you take, any natural su supplements, any vitamins, any herbal remedies. Medicines like St. John's wort, for example, are very effective, but they also have their own range of side effects. Remember that any medicine can have side effects to some extent, and they all may potentially interact with each other. If you're concerned, always ask a healthcare professional. Check out your medicine cabinet. 
I remember when I was doing my um, undergraduate training, so a long time ago, my final year project was knocking on people's houses. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be allowed to do that anymore <laughs> for safety reasons. But um, knocking on people's houses and saying, can I come and look at your medicine cabinet? And we'd go in pairs and look at how many drugs they had in there and what they were for and if they were in date, if they were out of date, that kind of thing. And it was amazingly scary, even back then. That's, that's a good 20-odd 20, 20 years ago. So have a look. If it's out of date, take it back to your pharmacy and they will get rid of it for you. Don't put it down the toilet. It, it interferes with, with the way that they clean the water. So take it back to your pharmacy. They'll get rid of, of it for you. If you're unsure why you had them or why they were recommended for you, go back and ask or, again, get rid of them. I'm obviously going to promote the role of the pharmacist in this. Well, I wouldn't be a professional if I didn't. Um, uh, pharmacists have quite a lot of experience in managing minor ailments. Um, there's a lot of uh, training at undergraduate and postgraduate level now. Um, and there's recognised documents from the government and our governing body, the Royal Pharmaceutical Society, showing how and what kind of roles that we can have in managing minor ailments, improving care of long-term conditions. However, I'm a great believer that you should always ask for a second opinion. And if you don't get the reply that you want or the information you need, ask somebody else. This, this says, go down to the roundabout, go right around round and come back up this road and ask him over there, because I don't know. And I, I can't enforce this enough. If you are unsatisfied with an answer you have about a, a medication or a condition, then ask somebody else. I've put some useful websites up there, but you probably obviously won't remember them. There's a one called patient.co.uk. It's written by uh, medics for patients. It's very useful for over-the-counter medicines and prescribed medicines. And obviously NHS Direct.